Hello and welcome to Horror Cult Trash Ever, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. I'm Chris. And I'm Gary. And today we are discussing the film that John Waters described as, beyond a doubt, the best movie ever made. A film that's been both derided as a softcore misogynistic skin flick and proclaimed a seminal work of feminist cinema. It's a real oxymoron of a film with potentially the best title in cinematic history. It's Russ Meyer's 1965 classic, Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. It is, and a, it t- is. a title that was given to the film because uh, Russ Meyer said it has everything in it that uh, you could want. It contains speed, faster, sex, pussycat, and violence. Kill, kill. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sold. Yeah. I'm sold from the get-go. Uh, one of the most influential films ever made, and one of the greatest cult films ever made. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I mean, John Waters wouldn't have a career without no, it. No, I mean, Female Trouble specifically is very much inspired by this. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, this is pretty much a blueprint for a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's true, um, surprisingly, but true. Yeah, Death Proof, Another the Quentin film Tarantino it. film, yeah. like, is pretty much a remake of this. Well, he was going to he remake, was going to remake it, it, but yeah. Death Proof didn't. It didn't. It didn't. Are you sure his remake wasn't before that and then he didn't get it and he just went on to do Death Proof, which is pretty much a remake? I suppose either... Yeah, I suppose that makes sense either way. It's Jonathan Ross's favourite film. Nice. And it was the influence for the Say You'll Be There video by the Spice Girls and Janet Jackson's You Want This video. Yes, which we both watched. Yes. And it's very true. Yeah, it is true. Uh, Say you'll be there. Obviously, I was obsessed as a kid, uh, and it's very strange to think that, like, in my Spice Girls sticker book, I was there sticking on the Say you'll be there pictures and everything, and I had no idea it was influenced by this fucking film. Yeah, yeah. and so many people won't know because, as much as it is a cult film, it is very much a cult film. It's not, you know, I'm I'm surprised the Spice Girls knew what it was. Um, yeah, I suppose we're as far removed from the Spice Girls, well, at least close to, as far removed from the Spice Girls video as the Spice Girls were. Fucking hell, don't say that. It's, it's the truth, it's the truth of the matter. Oh my um, god. But yeah, it's a film that divides audiences. It, yeah. Like I said, it's an, it's an oxymoron. Because, you know, it can be seen as cheap TNA, you know, and it it, it was racy for 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, but also could be seen as feminist. Yeah, I think it's a feminist film. I think so, absolutely. And so, it's a, it'll be a big part of today's podcast yeah. episode. Uh-huh. Because it is a huge talking point, not only in Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, mm-hmm. but Russ Meyer's filmography as a whole. Yeah. I mean, yeah, written and directed by Russ Meyer, yeah. um, who made Beyond the Valley of Dolls, previous podcast film, uh, Beyond the Valley of the Ultra Vixens, Super Vixens, Up, Even the Handyman, Confessions of a, Se- of a Sexy Super Vixen, etc., etc. Uh, Tora Satana from this film said in a 2004 interview that regardless of the nudity and sexual themes of his films and female characters, she always felt that he was a feminist at heart. And she said, and I quote, he loved to make women look good. I've never seen any of the girls in his film look bad. And the men in his movies were always incapacitated in some way or another. 
They were either in a wheelchair or on crutches or short of a full deck. He liked to make women strong, make them feel like they were empowered. Yeah, which I think was his kink. Yes. <laughs> if I'm being honest. I always and thought Chris Meyer just... was gay. And I think I said this in the Beyond the Valley of Dolls episode. Yeah. I think I got him mixed up with uh, Andy Milligan. It would make sense if he was gay. Because I feel like if I was to make a film, <laughs> it would be very similar it, yeah. to Faster Pussycat Kill yeah. Kill. Uh, it's co-written by Jackie Moran. Uh, male Jackie. Uh, erot- he wrote Erotica, Confessions of a Sexy Super Vixen, Wild Gals of the Naked West. How much does uh, how much loving does a normal couple need? And he's also the star of Gone with the Wind, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, Barefoot Boy, Mother Carey's Chickens, Book Rogers, and more. Yeah, child film star. Yeah, um, I think yeah, both um, Jackie Moran. What was her name? Jackie Moran. 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 (laughs) Moran. Moran, Moran. Uh, Jackie Moran and Russ Meyer, I think they got their start in softcore, nudie, cutie films. Uh, You know, you find a lot of cult film directors do kind of get their start Mm -hmm. there with a particular audience. And I think there is an evolution to be seen between those kind of films and... Faster, uh, faster pussycat kill kill. That's really uh, <laughs> it's a great title, but not the best for a no. podcast episode. When you have to keep saying it, um, but I think there's an evolution there. Yeah, where it's not so much skin on show necessarily, but it's close in themes yeah yeah absolutely i I mean one of the things i was gonna say you know you don't actually see any nudity in this film no you don't no Um, a bit of side boob a bit of side boob but but that's about it some heavy cleavage throughout yeah um but yeah we'll we'll get into it it's um, made on a budget of forty five thousand dollars um and at a box office i got here that it made thirty six um thousand one hundred twenty two dollars but that was only the 1995 US re-release. Um, but I do have a bit of trivia that says, although the film made a profit, apparently it did, it was not a big hit when it was originally released, but since then it's gone on to become a cult film and has been shown at several film festivals and art house theatres. Yeah, this has drive-in movie theatre written all yeah. over it. And I think, wasn't it, uh, I think it was a double bill with a uh, John Waters film particularly proud of. I can't remember which one. It may have been Female Trouble, actually, mm. or uh, Multiple Minutes. Yeah. Should we talk about who's in it? Yes, in a section we like to call, Hey, I Know You. Tura Satana plays Vala. Um, absolute icon. With what is quite possibly one of my favourite pieces of trivia I've ever read out in this podcast. She legally owned her image and likeness. Mm. So whenever Russ Meyer wanted to change the artwork on any of the film's posters or re-release the film, he had to get her permission to do so and sometimes pay her royalties all over again because she fucking legally owned her face. Oh my God. That's queen behaviour right there. <laughs> that is that is top-notch slayage. And I mean, in one of the, the documentary on the Arrow DVD, like, all those years later, I mean, I think that was... Uh, in the 2000s when that was released. And all those years later, she still had that same light. She had the same makeup, same outfit. She did. She did. I um, mean, no, if it ain't broke, 
Don't fix it. It's true. Uh, she was in The Haunted World of Al Super Bisto, Sugarbox, The Astro Zombies, Mark of the Astro Zombies, Astro Zombies M3 Cloned, The Doll Squad, and more. So The Haunted World of Al Super Bisto is uh, Rob Zombie. Oh, okay. Uh, animated film. Oh, I didn't realise that. You Rob Zombie had a little something to say about this film, didn't he? He did. Um, I watched an introduction that he did for TCM Underground. And uh, he very wrongly described this film as not camp. Uh, <laughs> how the fuck can you watch this and say it's not camp? I assume he his belief is that the intention wasn't to be camp. I think camp comes with time as well, with a lot of things. Then I'd um, say, but, has oh he... Oh my God, the uh, Dyer, come, come on. Has he watched any of Russ Meyer's other films? Have you even heard like, the dialogue? Seriously? I mean, this is coming from the same guy who thought people would take the White Horse thing seriously in Halloween too. so I mean, that, that says a lot. I thought people love that really. film. Um, if, if they do, then they need to watch it again and make <laughs> sure that they watch the right film. Um, <sighs> um, Tura Satana, she was also in Irma La Douche. Okay. Um, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, a Billy Wilder film. Oh, okay. So I think Russ Meyer had gone to visit her on the set of that film mm-hmm. to try and get her to do the, yeah to do the uh, the role in Faster Pussycat. So uh, I mean that's pretty good. I fucking love yeah. Billy Wilder. I haven't seen Irma La Douche, but I keep saying do please if it's not douche, I do apologize. She looks like a drag queen in this film, and her likeness in general, her iconic look that she is uh, copyrighted. Is the, is the look of a drag queen, and I'm absolutely here for it. Yeah, it, it's exaggeration. It's not far removed from Alvira. It's not, actually. And she sounds like Alvira when she talks as would well. Would this have been around the time of Vampira? It probably would have been, because yeah. Because I think, didn't Vampira yeah. sue Alvira? Yeah. There are similarities there. Uh, Haji is in this as Rosie. She is. She has what is quite possibly... The best career of anyone we've ever discussed on this podcast, and you know we've we've discussed some some stars on here. Um, she's the star of Killer Drag Queens on Dope, nice, The Double D Avenger, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, Bigfoot, Wham Bam, Funky Space Man, When Sex Was a Nightly Affair, Super Vixens, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, and more. The John Cassavetes film, yeah. bloody hell. <laughs> Um, Ilsa Harum Keeper of the Oil Sheiks. Um, yeah, I fully intend on watching every one of her films. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Laurie Williams is in this as Billy. And uh, she's the star of The Marvelous Land of Oz. It's a Bikini World. Arman Flint. The Poseidon Adventure. A Swinging Summer. Viva Las Vegas. Kissing Cousins. And more. Right. Okay. Another thing to mention about um, Haji's character, Rosie, lesbian character. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, our lead, uh, the Tura Satana character, is bisexual, which is incredible for a film like this because it's not used. And again, another part of my argument for this being a feminist film, if this wasn't a feminist film uh, and it was just made for a bit of TNA we absolutely would have seen them making out in great detail. But you don't see it once. It's actually, the way it's incorporated into the story to find out is actually uh, 
felt like it had a bit of heart to it. It felt like it was actually a real relationship, uh, which is refreshing for 1965. Yeah, and, and it, it is... Obviously, what we're talking about is 1965. It, by today's standards, it's incredibly mild, mm. incredibly mild, in terms of sex, uh, in particular, because no one actually ends up having sex. Spoiler alert: no one actually ends up having sex. They just well, not it, with the clothes off. It's anyway. a clothed, like kiss and a cuddle, mainly, and a bit of dry humping. Um, yeah, and I, I was pleasantly surprised. At the queer, almost love story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That went on, and I understand. Nineteen sixty-five. It wasn't going to push the boundaries that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have it there, and again, spoiler alert: the lesbian and the bisexual woman they do die in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, not every film's gonna smash every glass ceiling yeah. and they are the bad guys so they kind of deserved it <laughs> uh, Sue Bernard plays Linda she was in Teenager The Killing Kind Necromancy The Beverly Hillbillies The Witchmaker That Tender Touch Stranger in Hollywood The Finks and more she um, T- Tura Santana had a bit to say about about Sue Bernard uh, she said she had a mother with her who was one of those types of women don't come near my daughter, you're liable to give us something. Uh, the only way I could get anything out of her acting-wise was to literally make her hate me. I had to get very physical and brutal, very sarcastic in order to get anything from her, pulling teeth to get a reaction. The rest of the time, all she did was cry. Yes, which is unfortunate, but she was only 16. <laughs> Um, so could have cut her a little bit of slack <laughs> with that one. Um, she was also Playboy's magazine's Playmate of the Month for December 1966. Oh, when she was 17? Uh, oh, dear. No, December 1966. Yeah. I mean, so she... she would have been 18. So when did they make this, though? Did they... This So this was would have been made... Well, I mean, I suppose... they got filmed out quite fast in those days. Yeah, 1964. 1965. Yeah, I was going to say. So she would have been 16, 17. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, an unfortunate sign of the times. Although, pleased to hear that her mother was on set. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Thank God. Uh, Finally, Stuart Lancaster plays the old man, and he was in Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, The Secret Sex Lives of Romeo and Juliet, The Naked Gut, The Super Vixens. God Monster of Indian Flats and more. Ah, it's a quite a storied career, and then went on to uh, what's oh, what's his name? Tim Burton. Yeah, I was gonna say Ted Burton. Don't... Who the fuck's Ted Burton? <laughs> uh, Tim Burton films. Do you have anyone else? Uh, no, no, actually, no one else was really in much. Then let's speak about our feature presentation. Yes, let's. Do so. You've got a weird sense of humor. Try again, I get funnier.
as you just heard on the trailer, uh, this film does have a, a bit of a banger for its theme song. Oh, top tier banger. Uh, I recommend you listen to the Cramps cover, live cover of it as well. Uh, go listen to the original. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Both on Spotify. Yeah. Listen to both. Been loving listening to that. On, which we haven't plugged for a while, our Now That's What I Call Horror Court Trash Over playlist. Yes. All the songs from your favourite and maybe your not so favourite episodes of the podcast. Yeah. Listen now on Spotify. <laughs> so we're introduced to the film via a narrator. And I think it's important, so I am going to give you the whole it's, it is narration. Yeah, um, I'm not going to do the vo- whatever voice he was going for. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Violence, the Word and the Act. While violence cloaks itself in a plethora of disguises, its favourite mantle still remains, sex. Violence devours all it touches, its voracious appetite rarely fulfilled. Yet violence doesn't only destroy, it creates and moulds as well. Let's examine closely then this dangerously evil creation, this new breed encased and contained within the supple skin of woman. The softness is there, the unmistakable smell of female, the surface shiny and silken, the body yielding yet wanton. But a word of caution, handle with care and don't drop your guard. This rapacious new breed, struggle on that word, Prowls both alone and in packs, operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. <laughs> Great job. Great job. You sounded just like him. I, um, I, I practised and rapacious, rapacious, not sure what it means. Um, need to Google that one. Um, but yeah, that pretty much sums up what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sex, violence, women, yeah. supple skin. Which is so funny because, I mean, prior to this, a female representation in films um, wasn't always the best. When we, when, we, when we think mainstream films, you know, they're either love interests or... I don't know, it wasn't... You, you weren't seeing them going around killing people and drag racing, were you? No, not not to this sort of physicality and throughout the whole film women are very physical they're dancing they're you know fighting each other they're fighting men they're always sort of on the move yeah um you've had strong female characters you know some of my favorite actresses you know their careers were strong women Mm. you know i'm thinking betty davis you know her career was strong women but to me, and, you know, correct us if we're wrong, I haven't seen every film ever made um, just yet. But uh, <laughs> to me, I haven't seen a film before this that had women being so physical. Mm. Yeah. Just, you know, in every aspect, but mainly within the sort of violence, the kicking and karate chopping yeah. and yeah. scrapping and catfighting and, and, and all that business. You know, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of catfighting in previous films, but the, the physical aspect, the physical strength mm-hmm. of women on display, I, I thought was completely groundbreaking. I hadn't seen anything made before this, no. you know, and, you know, we're here to learn. If anyone knows, let us know. Yeah. You know, I love recommendations, uh-huh. but for me, this 
to see a, a black and white film from the 60s mm-hmm. do this, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and having them as killers as well, like warning us against them, like we should be terrified of them. Um, I've noticed recently we've had a bit of, there's been a bit of a discourse about um, the LGBTQ plus community being portrayed as killers in films, as unhinged people and, and so on and that. And how few people have been saying, well, maybe we want to be the villain. Maybe we want to be, you know, this force to be reckoned with and this powerful bad person as well as being the hero. You know, maybe we want that representation as well. And I think that very much comes into it here with women in this film and the fact that they're portrayed as villains. But, I mean, they're fucking cool to watch, even though they're villains. You know, you're not rooting for people in real life here. You're watching a film. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So, I mean, we just got three bad women here just being bad bitches throughout. And I was absolutely living for it. Yeah, and I didn't think it was bad representation. I thought it was really fucking cool. Yeah, I think just having representation in 1965, I think context is so important yeah. when it comes to these things. I I really do, because it's 1965. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly low-budget film. Yeah. It doesn't have to have any representation. No. And just and to have that representation, and not to outwardly shame or make fun of, or tell anyone that it's bad that these queer characters exist mm. in this film, I think it's groundbreaking. Yeah. You can't always judge everything by modern standards. Mm-hmm. It's a product of its time. And as a product of its time, I think it really pushes boundaries. Yeah. I really do. And it's depiction of women and it's depiction of queer characters. Does that mean, you know, it's comparable to modern films? Of course not. No. In that sense. But as a product of its time, and as a piece of entertainment, I loved it. Yeah. You know, okay, so they're the villains. It's a film. Yeah. You know, it's not telling me that they're bad because they're queer. Mm -hmm. It's just that. They happen to be queer, and that's yeah. another aspect to their character. Mm-hmm. Like, thank God, a bit of a bit of character development yeah. as well. So, uh, something behind everything, yeah. you know, layers. You know, I love it, love it. Say it all the time. Love layers to my characters. Yeah. Love being able to see them from different angles and understand them in what is supposed to be a bit of fluff. Yeah. Like this film is meant to just be a bit of fluff. At a drive-in. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And we are introduced to them uh, as Faster Pussycat by the Boss Weeds plays. We get the opening credits. And they're three wild, uninhibited go-go dancers. Billy, Rosie and Vala dancing at a club before racing their sports cars across the California desert. Yeah. Number one, Slay. Yeah. Number two, I loved the sort of juxtaposition between... The leering, sweaty messes yeah. of the men sort of mm-hmm. screaming at them, go, baby, go. Yeah. And they're absolutely serving. They look so hot. Mm-hmm. They're dancing like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I love the camera angles in the whole of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think many could have said it's a bit uh, sleazy, I suppose. There's a lot of very low 
camera angles in the sort of crotch area. Mm. But when you go go dancing on a bar, you know, or wherever you go go dancing, I can't look at go go. I can't look at go go dancing as anything other than camp. I love go go dancing in films. If I had my way, every film would have go go dancing. It's just, ah, oh, it's just such a joy to watch. It's so fucking camp. Can I recommend to anyone listening? Uh, any they, beach party films. Any beach <laughs> party films. But also there is a clip, uh, it should be on YouTube, of Bet Lynch from Coronation Street <laughs> doing a very similar dance on a bar. <laughs> her and her pal, it's in the 70s, and they're go-go dancing on the Rover's Return bar, and it is high camp. And I fully recommend everybody watch it. Absolutely no one thought they were going to get that recommendation when they started this episode. Watch it and you'll know. I mean, it's got very similar energy as well. <laughs> Actually, Billy kind of looks like Bet Lynch to a certain degree. I'd love to see the uh, Coronation Street version of this film. <laughs> um, we then get Billy. She goes for a dip, doesn't she? And Rosie is absolutely fuming. Oh, so I've got to go get wet because Lady Godiva wants to swim. Yeah. She sounds like Lady Gaga in House of Gucci in this she film. Does. Her Italian accent is fucking ridiculous. It's awful, but <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, well, Vala makes her go in to fetch her, doesn't she? And uh, yeah. Rosie sort of does whatever Vala says. Um, Rosie is so angry that they have a fight in the sand. Well, they have a fight in the water. Then they take it onto land. And they have a fight in the sand whilst reading each other to filth. And they were told not to rehearse for this scene. Uh, to <laughs> add to the realism, like the only precaution Russ Meyer took uh, was giving them directions to not hit each other. But because the fight is real, you can see things such as genuine hair pulling and each woman throwing sand in each other's faces. <laughs> All done for real. No stunt people. This is... Come on, method. Both of these actresses going at it. Um, it doesn't get them anywhere, no. so they decide to settle the score in a drag race. All right, chickies, knock it off. I've seen better fights in a light show. <laughs> Whatever that means. What does that even mean? <laughs> um, they dry off extremely quickly uh, before getting in their cars for the drag race. Uh, but Vala ruins the race, and Billy practices her go-go dancing instead. <laughs> so, hey, Rosie, pop the top before you blow your own. <laughs> I Whilst guess, she's go-go dancing. Much to Rosie's annoyance. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Like, they, they never stay still. No. These women no. are always physical. This made me think of uh, Lulu in Polyester. Absolutely. I absolutely would have been taken from this character. Of course. Of course. Um, they then play a high-speed game of chicken on the well, salt flats. Yeah. I have it described here as. Uh, and they encounter a young couple... Tommy and Linda, who are out to uh, run a time trial. Okay, I have an issue. What's that? The fuck is Tommy wearing? Yeah. As I was saying at the start of the episode, his, the men aren't very flattering in no, these films. Good. Apart from the ultra, was it Ultra Vixens we watched where that guy had like a fucking fifteen inch cock? Yes. That was yeah. That <laughs> that was very flattering to that guy. But this Tommy, I mean, he's. Wearing, like, plaid shorts. Yeah. <laughs> socks up to his fucking knees. Yeah. It's not a good look. No. Whereas every woman in this film serves. Mm-hmm. The men do not. Linda uh, offers Rosie a soft drink. And Rosie says, a soft drink? How, honey, 
We don't like nothing soft. Everything we touch is hard. <laughs> what accent were you going for I, there? I was you? trying. I don't know <laughs> what I was going for. Everything they touch is hard. <laughs> T- uh, Tommy says, uh, been running some timing trials. And Vila says, we know how fast we can go. <laughs> you can time that heap with an hourglass. To which Linda, introducing herself to the film, says, someone mentioned my figure. <laughs> Love it. The dialogue in this film is second to none. Billy shows Linda how to do a, a go-go dance. And she's like, hey, the kid's all right. If I ever get a severe case of love sickness, I know he could fill in for me at the club. <laughs> uh, Viola questions why Tommy would just drive for the sake of it. I think a lot of us question that. <laughs> uh, why would you drive for the sake of it with no competition? Yeah. And she says, I don't beat clocks, just people. Want to try? <laughs> Uh, the girls race Tommy, which he loses, and they bully Linda, stealing the stopwatch. <laughs> Le- <laughs> Poor method acting. Tommy's like, you've got a weird sense of humour. <laughs> Viola's like, try again, I'll get funnier. <laughs> uh, this all leads to Tommy defending Linda's honour against Vala in a fight. <laughs> and uh, she ends up breaking his neck. Yeah. In the fight, and then they kid. Uh, well, Vala kidnaps and drugs Linda. <laughs> um, high speed racing. Yeah. Windows open. Mm-hmm. Not a single hair out of place. No. Honestly, this puts Fast and Furious to shame. Like, this this is everything Fast and Furious should be. <laughs> Well, that's unfair. Vin Diesel doesn't have any hair. Well, so we can't. The Helen Mirren does. Problem. Helen Mir- Oh, Helen Mirren should serve in this film. Keep saying serve. It's so camp. Yes, you're a homosexual. <laughs> Congratulations. In a small desert town, they stop at a gas station where they see a wheelchair-using old man and his muscular, dim-witted son. The gas station attendant. Ta- one of my favourite characters. The gas station attendant tells the women that the old man was disabled in a railway accident, going nuts as a result, and that he received a large settlement of money that is hidden somewhere around his decrepit house in the desert. Um, My favourite interaction, when the gas station attendant, staring at Vala's chest as he pumps the gas, he says, uh, just passing through her, boy, that motor is sure hot. Your gals really must have been moving on these little machines. Yes, sir. The thrill of the open road. New places, new people, new sites of interest. Now that's what I believe in. Seeing America first. (laughs) To which Viola replies... (laughs) Excuse me. You won't find it down there, Columbus. (laughs) As the camera pans onto her cleavage. Yeah. And again, a scene that was clearly replicated in... uh... Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, Billy and Vala argue over what happened with Tommy and Linda, but Vala reminds her that she's an accessory to the crime. And quite a famous quote when uh, Billy says, you're real cute, Vala, like a velvet glove cast in iron. (laughs) Which I think kind of... sort of encapsulates what the theme of the film is. Yeah. So the idea of a velvet glove, you know, a, a lady, a very sexy lady, um, the sort of silken skin of the lady that from the narration at the beginning, cast in iron. So very hard, violent, yeah. heartless. Um, yeah, I think that's the theme of the film. 
yeah absolutely encapsulated and um yeah i think that's for a lot of people that's the quote that's sort of stuck mm -hmm. yeah um Violet is intrigued about uh the money so she hatches a scheme to rob the old man and the three women follow him back to the ranch where uh, with their captive in tow so these characters the old man and uh his sons um the the other one who was about to be introduced this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm -hmm. This is a Toby Hoop. There's no way Toby Hooper didn't watch this film. This is absolutely Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's even a scene, you know, where, spoiler alert, jumping ahead a bit, where Linda gets away. She bumps into the other son, doesn't realise that he's with the family. He takes her back. The end of the film, again, is Linda, like, hysterically sobbing. And it sounded a lot like Sally at the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I just thought that's really interesting um, because obviously Texas Chainsaw Massacre is rightfully so, you know, groundbreaking for its time. Um, very much, apart from the whole Ed Gein connection, feels like an original film, feels like the first, it's first of its kind. Mm. But then you watch this and you're like, oh, wow, that's taken a lot from this. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It's very similar, very similar. Um I'm assuming Toby Hooper did watch the film at yeah. some point. Um, I mean, go for it. Yeah. You know, if you're going to make a, a masterpiece from a masterpiece. Yeah. Then, oh, spoiler alert to the awards at the end. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely see the correlation. Yeah. And even yeah. to the point where the younger son, um, you know, obviously something's not right with Leatherface and he's this big hawking guy. Mm. And then this guy's big and muscly. It's kind of like, even there, and like the sort of age range as well, of like even Kirk is probably around the same age as the hitchhiker and then the old man. It, I mean, that is spot on, like that connection. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he's the, really. And the, and the both yeah. films are about violence uh -huh. as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that would make a great double bill. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Uh, at the ranch, they encounter the old man, his youngest son, uh, who they learn is called the Vegetable due to his uh, feeble-mindedness. And then also his elder son, Kirk. So it's unfortunate. It's a very unfortunate part of the film. The Vegetable is what he's known as. Yeah. It's what he's known as in the credits. Mm -hmm. and it his character doesn't actually get a name. And I think it's a very much a sign of the times. Yeah. It's very unfortunate. Um, we, we won't continue to use that name, obviously, throughout the podcast, mm -hmm. but I think it's an interesting point to bring up. Yeah. That it feels... Crass. It, it, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a strange one that... That is actually the most shocking part of the, the film for yeah, me. Yeah. You know, how things change over the decades mm -hmm. and how at the time people were like, oh my God, you know, scantily clad women, this violence, yeah. oh, the horror, the horror, the sheer horror of it all. Whereas we sit there and it's actually that very insulting, ableist name. Yeah that really shocked us. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that 
leaves a sour taste yeah for us and it is a sign of the times it is it's very unfortunate um but i think it's important to to bring that up and to acknowledge yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah definitely. definitely yeah um the old man says women they let them vote smoke and drive even put them in pants and what happens a democrat for president <laughs> So the old man is definitely a certain kind of yeah. old man. Mm-hmm. He's that right winger. Mm-hmm. He's the juxtaposition between the old and the new. Mm-hmm. So the women are very sort of uh, liberated. Yeah. They do wear pants. They're mm-hmm. not in dresses. Um, they're openly queer. Yeah. In a queer relationship. And, again, it's another theme of the film. Yeah. Old versus the new. Mm-hmm. And it all leads to violence. Yeah. You know? Billy tells Linda that she's better with them than with the old man. And she's probably right. Yeah. Again, this... It's, it's almost like... It's one of those films where the majority of the people in the film aren't actually that nice. No. And you don't really know whose side necessarily to take. Yeah. I mean, I arguably the only protagonist in the film is Linda. Yeah, yeah. So the, the film, I think, is about gender mm. and about a war of the sexes. Yeah. And I think poor Linda is stuck in the middle uh-huh. between the proverbial rock and a hard place. Yeah. So it's either be with... Should we, call, should we call them the Pussycats? Yeah. Is that the gang name? I, I don't know if that's the gang name. You can if you want. Should, the Pussycats. <laughs> there you go. If, if it's not, then you know what we're saying. Between the Pussycats and men. Yeah. She's she's stuck in the middle. Her her man kind of mm-hmm. let her down. Yeah. In the Battle of the Sexes. He lost that one. Mm-hmm. So she's stuck and she's the victim of this. Yeah. Which is very interesting. And she is, in many ways, the heart of the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, Billy watches the younger son lift weights. Before this, we get some fantastic dialogue where uh, the old man's like, uh, oh, well, uh, I can get you some dinner. And she's like, yeah, we're hungry. Just not food hungry. We're checking out the lay of the land while staring at the younger son. (laughs) And it's... She's objectifying him. Yeah. And again, you don't get it often. No. That that female gaze, that objectification of men. Yeah. Really. And this scene where he's where he's lifting weights, like, I mean I feel like he's doing there Rasmaya, I feel like he's doing there what everyone's accusing him of doing with the women. Yeah. Yeah. Um we see a lot of extremes in Maya's films. Not only in its content and acting and accents, uh, but it, in its depiction of gender. Yeah. From what we've seen, you know, obviously his most famous sort of uh, MO is very large-breasted women. Yeah. But there's also very muscular men mm-hmm. in his films. That extreme of gender. Yeah. Physical aspects of gender. Yeah. Um, also... Huge penises. Yeah. <laughs> Crop up in a lot of his films. 
So it's that extremes of the physicalities mm-hmm. of men and women yeah. that he plays on in his films, mm-hmm. as as well as the other aspects of man versus woman, yeah. um, which I find really interesting. Yeah, while she's uh, watching him do the weights, she's like, from what I can see, you've got two of everything and some left over. Look, me, Tarzan, you, Jane... Now, why don't you drop that branch and let's swing a little? <laughs> but Linda runs away um, because something happens with the old man off screen. And very much it goes back to the point where, you know, Billy said you're probably better off of us than with him. Yes. Yeah. And obviously he is a lecherous old man. Yeah. Obviously he has gone touchy-feely mm-hmm. and... Of being in the wheelchair, he um, isn't capable, you know, she manages to push him mm-hmm. over. And that comes into play when more is revealed Yeah, as to what's going on at this ranch. Um, again, between a rock and a hard place, uh, Paul Linda is then tied up in the car by uh, Bala and... Uh, is petrol being poured on the car, ready to blow it up. Um, Billy tries to get saucy with the younger son again, but he's upset by the train that passes by, and she's left in the dirt. Billy returns. Viola says, you were a long time coming. To which Billy replies, you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much of his dialogue would be perfect spoken by Mae West. Yeah. <laughs> so much. This is very akin to Sextet. Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> the group all have lunch together and Billy taunts Rosie when Vala leaves with Kirk, hoping to seduce him into revealing the location of the money. Again, more amazing dialogue from Billy where she says, Mr. Host, I'm of legal age for whiskey loving and voting. Now, the next election's two years away, and my love life ain't getting much better. So how about that good 100%? And then she she throws shade at the younger son and the old man when he suggests proposing a toast. It's like, oh, yeah, let's drink to trains. They're big, fast, and strong, and they make lots of noise. And the old man's like, the fuck do you think you mean? What do you mean by that? I would... Love to speak like that in real life. <laughs> Could you imagine just reeling that off when yeah. asking for a whiskey? <laughs> um, what's interesting is the only time men and women are on the same page is when it comes to sex. Yeah. So Billy wants sex for pleasure. Vala uses it for personal gain. And Rosie for love. Although, of course, we don't see Rosie and Vala have sex. No. This, I think, is very much in keeping with the women's personalities. So, Vala is out for power and money. Billy is out for pleasure and thrills. Whilst Rosie seems to go with the plan because of her love for Vala. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just... It, something that I, I noticed is how these three characters, their relationship with sex, mm-hmm. and indeed with men is very akin to their personalities as yeah. a whole. Um, at the dinner table, the old man, I also noticed, trauma dumps, mm-hmm. doesn't he? Yeah. When he uh, 
when he explains that his youngest son was born big and killed his mother when he was born and the old man resents him for it. So the old man resents his youngest son and resents women, Mm -hmm. which comes into play later on. Linda subsequently escapes the drunken Billy after she had too much of that 100% and runs away into the desert. The old man and the younger son pursue in their truck. The younger son catches Linda and seems about to assault her, but he collapses in tears as Vala and Kirk arrive. Before that, we get the uh, scene where Vala and Kirk are making out, doing a bit of dry humping. Uh, And Rosie's watching, looking upset. And it's like this moment where it's like, okay, this is being taken seriously, this relationship. Yeah, so when, yeah, because when uh, Billy teases uh, Rosie at the dinner table, Mm She suggests that Billy gets her kicks only one way. Yeah. Whereas Rosie gets her kicks in many different ways. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. And to see sort of... Rosie is almost kind of um, sympathetic, mm-hmm. I suppose, because of this. Because her love for Vala she has gotten herself into a bit of trouble. Yeah. And, you know, more for her. But we do kind of feel for her, particularly in this scene, when, you know, Vala didn't even question sleeping with this man. No. To get ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just... They are distracted by uh, Linda, though. And Vala says, Sounds like my motor being revved up. That makes it twice today. <laughs> Kirk explains that the old man had saved a girl from an accident at the train station, resulting in his own injury, and that the girl had subsequently caught the next train, leaving him to fend for himself and resulting in his hatred of women. The old man encourages his younger son to assault Linda, and again we see sex used as a weapon within the conflict between genders. Mm-hmm. And the old... But, because the old man isn't physically able to, like when he tried to earlier and Linda pushed him out of his chair. Like Grandpa in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like Grandpa in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He uses his son mm-hmm. to enact revenge on the women that he feels had done him wrong. Yeah. He also feels like his son did him wrong mm-hmm. when his wife died during labour. So it's it's a two for one, you know. He's using his son, you know, who he resents, to assault women. Yeah. Who he also hates. Piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's also interesting to see Vala's reaction when she arrives, because she is angered at the men's attempt to rape Linda. Mm-hmm. Um. Despite having not too long ago tried to set Linda on fire, yeah, it's that kind of again, you know, the difference between genders where she's like, well, Linda's mine, yeah, you know, I might want to set her on fire to get away with murder, mm-hmm. but I'll be damned if you fucking do anything to her, yeah, like that. And she, it, it, it's almost. A bit of sensitivity mm-hmm. from her. And I feel, again, layers to a character. Yeah. I love it. 
Kirk finally acknowledges his father's lecherous nature and the old man's hold over his younger brother. And he vows to have his younger brother institutionalised. He tries to take the hysterical Linda into town in the truck, but the old man says that he has thrown away the keys and Kirk and Linda set out across the desert on foot. So Kirk's meant to be a sympathetic character as well. Yeah. Despite clearly him knowing what's been going on uh-huh. between his father and his brother. Yeah. So I, I think... Spoiler alert, I could have done with Kirk dying at the end <laughs> as well. Yeah. Linda's final girl, sole survivor, but unfortunately. Uh, spoiler alert, Kirk does survive, despite actually being an antagonist. Yeah. Vala drives back to the house and tells Billy and Rosie that they should kill the men and the girl to cover up Linda's kidnapping and the murder of her boyfriend. Billy refuses, but as she walks away, Vala throws a knife into her back just as the old man and his younger son arrive. So you get the impression, like I said earlier, that Billy's in it for kicks. Yeah. She's trying to get her thrills. She doesn't really care. No. It's kind of... She doesn't actually really care either way. Doesn't really care about the money. Doesn't really care about, you know, Linda and her boyfriend. There are moments, but generally she's just out for a good time. Yeah. At whatever cost. And, you know, it comes back to bite her in the ass. Mm -hmm. And I liked Billy as a character, but again, she deserved to die, you know. And I think it's kind of also a morality story. Yeah. You know, the bad guys do actually die, apart from Kirk, but the bad guys do die in the end. Despite, you know, regardless of gender. Mm -hmm. Because there's always going to be victims in, in any kind of war, a war of... A battle of the sexes There's always going to be victims Rosie and Vala hit the old man with their car Killing him And knocking over his wheelchair To reveal the money hidden inside <laughs> Rosie is Yes it's 1965 B-movie low budget But I, I love the the sort of like jump cut, uh-huh. would you call the, it? Where people so like get they, hit by cars Yeah, where they like quicken it up <laughs> Yeah, I love that <laughs> Oh, it's, it's high camp. I love it. Uh, Rosie is stabbed and killed by the youngest son while trying to retrieve the knife from Billy's body. Vala tries to ram the youngest son into a wall with her car, but he surprisingly manages to hold the car back with his strength. Um, So he's not fully punished for his behaviour. No. And I assume, from a moral perspective, it's because... It's an acknowledgement of his father's manipulation, mm-hmm. which I found quite interesting. Cause... Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose it kind of makes more sense for him to survive than it did for Kirk to survive. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Giving up on her attempt to kill the younger son, Vala then drives off in the truck and overtakes Kirk and Linda, chasing them into a gully. Vala and Kirk fight hand to hand. Mm-hmm. And I love this fight. Yeah. It's very similar to the, the, the one with Tommy at the beginning. Uh-huh. But at no point does the film question Viola's physical strength. No. No. It She doesn't have to cheat to get ahead in a fight. Mm-hmm. She is an expert hand-to-hand contact. Uh, yeah. Hand-to-hand combat. Excuse me. 
And I like that. Uh-huh, I agree. To see a woman who is still seen as very feminine, mm-hmm. you know, kicking ass yeah. like that. Despite, you know, despite being the bad guy in this, I mean, loved it. Yeah. Loved to see it. And I, I do think that's a big part of the, the feminist side of the film. Uh-huh. Um, Vala gets the better of Kirk until Linda hits her with the truck and she dies. Kirk and Linda then drive off together in the truck. Linda, like Gary said earlier, being quite hysterical. Mm-hmm. I love the fact, and you know, we've covered a few slasher films and a big issue I have with a lot of slasher films is when men save the day. Yeah. We have Final Girl... But it's the men saving the yeah. day. Linda actually saves the day. She does. Because physically, Vala was still overpowering Kirk. Mm-hmm. And he probably would have died if it wasn't for Linda. Yeah. I like that. Fucking God. I was I was nervous, you know, when we first watched it. I was like, oh God, Linda's going to be a right chump here. But she's not. She saves the day. Yeah. And that's the end. It is. And then we get... You know, Faster Pussycat again. Yeah. It's only an hour and 24 minutes long. Yeah. And that is just the perfect length for this film. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It keeps the plot moving, the characters moving. Yeah. And yeah, it's a perfect time. Yeah. Less than an hour and a half. You know, you can fit it in. And watch it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it doesn't feel the need to be two hours long. For me, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is a product of that wonderful kind of Americana that I love. Uh-huh. I, maybe it's because we don't see this. We would never see a film like Faster Pussycat Kill Kill in the UK. No. It's very American. It's that very 60s go-go dancing Americana that yeah. I love. I love those kind of films. It's so over the top, so entertaining. I loved its depiction of women. I I really did. Yeah. And um, as with, like I said earlier, a lot of Russ Meyer's films, it's the depiction of women that's up for a lot of debate. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally believe the film to be, in many ways, a feminist film. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if that's by design or not. A couple of quotes from Russ Meyer regarding women that I found on my uh, travels. He described women as four Fs. Find them, film them, fuck them, forget them. He also said, I don't care to comment about what might be inside a lady's head. Hopefully my dick. Are those actual quotes? Actual quotes. Now, could this be sheer bravado and a ploy to gain Mm. attention or pander to a certain type of audience Uh member? But it does beg the question of when we need to believe the art and not the artist. Yeah. If I if you showed me that film mm-hmm. and I didn't know Russ Meyer from anyone mm-hmm. and I'd never heard of the film and you put that film on for me, at the end I would say that's a feminist film. Yeah. I would say the depiction of women very strong. Mm-hmm. Um very physical. 
but without questioning their gender state. Yeah. You know, as them as women, as them as strong women, it doesn't question that. So I would say it's a feminist film. Particularly knowing, you know, if you told me it's from 1965, I'd be like, yes. Yeah. Knowing what Russ Meyer said, it does add a different edge to the film. It does, but it, it kind of makes it uh, more satisfying the fact that it, I mean, it's undeniably a feminist film. Like, whether it's intended or not, I think he, if he didn't intend it, then he's accidentally made a feminist film. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of came back on him if he was a misogynist. Um, yeah. And it, it's a difficult one because how much of that do you actually believe? Yeah. Because Haji herself once said, Russ not only brings out the breast in women, but the best in women. Yeah. Which is a wonderful quote. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's true. He actually, when you watch his films, mm-hmm. yes, it's a certain type of woman, but he celebrates women. Yeah. There's no denying that even though, you know, in his later films as well, there's a lot of TNA. Mm-hmm. It's a celebration of beautiful women. Yeah. Women never look bad in his films. They always look absolutely gorgeous. They kick ass. Yeah. And I I think that is is integral to feminist cinema. Yeah, I think so. Strong women. Yeah. Strong women that take charge. Uh-huh. For better or worse. Antagonists or protagonists. Yes. Yeah. That's what you need, particularly 1965 in cinema. Strong ass women. Yeah. That's what we love. Yeah. That's, you know, if you've listened to any episode of this podcast, you know that we love strong women. Yeah. And you can, I think, look at the art and not the artist and believe the art. Because also he worked with women. Yeah. So if he really was that way, then he wouldn't work with women. He wouldn't trust them in the filmmaking process. I mean, it was executive produced by his wife. Mm. But he, in other of his films, in other aspects, he's worked with women. Yeah. He wouldn't do that. So I think maybe it's a little bit of a ploy Mm. to sort of, gain a little attention from his target audience. Yeah. You know, because I don't think in 1965 women were going out to watch this kind of film. From from what how it's marketed. Yeah. I don't think this was a film intended for women. No. I am pleased to say that it it should be. Yeah. But I don't think it was ever intended for that, it was for young men who like cleavage and fighting mm-hmm. and cars. Yeah. No, I agree. So shall we get to the awards? Yes! Biggest, Biggest queen. Yeah. Biggest queen. This um, is a difficult one. I'm going to give it to Billy. I'm going to give it to Vala, just to be devil's advocate. Uh-huh. Um... But both are great answers. Yeah. Any woman in this film, Yeah, it's really, true. Actually. Biggest gasp. Um, for me, it's the whole depiction of the younger son. Um, yes. From a 2023 perspective. Anyway. 
Yeah, uh, I did. I agree. It was the the very unfortunate naming and and sort of depiction of. Yeah, the youngest son. Best dialogue is probably the most difficult we've ever had. Best dialogue impossible. Uh, I do have a soft drink, honey. We don't like nothing soft. Everything we touch is hard. <laughs> Good choice. I went with. Uh, you were a long time coming. You're telling me. <laughs> And that's camp. Uh, I've got a tie between every single second of Billy's screen time and Rosie's Italian accent. I, I, completely, I put all of it yeah. and then put Rosie's Ita- Italian. Was it ever established that she was Italian? Um, or is that just the closest? I feel like, just a clo- it yeah. kind of sounds like Mario. So yeah. We're going to go with Italian. Ratings, I give it 10 Hasaguchi accents out of 10. <laughs> I give it 10 mentions of my figure out of 10. <laughs> and Masterpiece, Trash to Piece, Trash or Basic. Uh, for the first time in a while, we have a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It really, it's everything you would ever want from a cult film, from a B-movie, from an American film from the 60s. It's, it's top-notch. Top-notch entertainment. It's available on Video On Demand and DVD if you're lucky enough to find the Arrow release of it, like we did. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out Death Proof. Yeah, just on that, please, someone release it on Blu-ray. It is overdue. I really want a box set of Russ Meyer Like, really seriously. Totally overdue. There was the Arrow DVD box set of Mm -hmm. pretty much all of his films. And that's a ridiculous price on eBay. Like, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yes, if you enjoyed this film, check out Super Vixens. Yes. Another fantastic... I, he, from what we've seen, he hasn't had a dud so no, far. No. But we haven't seen all of his films. Yeah, we've seen like three of them. Uh, so... <laughs> but three films are not a dud. You know, there's a lot of directors that can't say that. Uh, if you are a fan of this film, let us know on social media. We are Horrorcore Trash Over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. I'm Delight Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And if you haven't listened to any of our other episodes over the last few months, we are also Gas Horrorfest on all social media. <gasps> a festival dedicated entirely to minority filmmakers making new horror films taking place in Manchester in June. Yes, uh, really coming together, really excited. Please join us. Yes, it's gonna be it'll be a wonderful weekend. Yeah, with some fan fucking tastic films. Yeah, and come find us and tell us your favorite episodes and such as well. <laughs> uh, give us a rate review and subscribe on <laughs> Which iTunes. One's your favorite? Uh, this one. The Hills of Eyes original. You're you only as good as your last one. Well, it's my yeah. favorite. <laughs> um, yes, give us a rate review, subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on everything else. Rating on Spotify. We're back on Friday with our original versus remake episode for Satan's School for Girls. Yes. Yeah, we haven't watched <laughs> them yet. <laughs> yeah, but they look so good. And next week we are back with more camp. And we are discussing Starship Troopers. Yeah. Um, cool. Classic. Yes. 
under understood understood misunderstood, misunderstood. yeah your favorite pink album <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah can't wait to talk about it yeah so we'll be back same time same place on friday bye